Our passage of scripture this morning is Revelation chapter 7. I'm going to read the entire chapter, Revelation chapter 7. I have to get this hymnal to not slide down in front of me. There. After these things, I saw four angels at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Ishishkar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes? And where did they come from? I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. At the end of chapter 6, which I preached on last week, verses 12 through 17, we read about God's wrath and the end of our present world. And that could have been the end of the whole book because it was describing the end. And yet as people were dying, as the Lamb of God was bringing his wrath on the earth, the very last verse of the last chapter 
it says, for the great day of his wrath is come, and these are these people supposedly speaking, and who is able to stand? And those people who are ungodly, who do not know Christ, will be asking that question, who is able to stand? And you think it's sort of a rhetorical question from them, and yet this is God's word, and God is prophesying this through uh, his angel, through Jesus to, to us, and when he asks, when God asks the question, who is able to stand, he has an answer. And we see that in chapter 7. God's people, as described in chapter 7 of Revelation, are able to stand. They're able to stand through the first four horsemen. And I believe the first horseman was Jesus going out with his gospel. But the second, the third, the fourth are all the things we see that have gone on in this world from all time, war and, and famine and, and death from all various trials. This is something that's not new, that's not different, but they go on all the time. And then there's the martyrdom that's described in the fifth seal. And finally, in the sixth seal, the judgment of God that comes upon this world. And that re represents the end of the world. But God's people will stand in the midst of that. They will come through the great tribulation. They will survive all these things. And this chapter, I believe, is to comfort God's people. It's to comfort those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was why chapter 7 is written. Now, some people believe, and many of them, that there are two different groups described here. Uh, Jews, in the first part of chapter 7... And Gentiles who believe in Jesus in the second part. I don't believe it's two different groups. I believe every Jew, the only way he's ever going to be saved is if he believes in Jesus. There's no other way of salvation for a Jewish person or for a Gentile than believing in Jesus, who is the Jewish Messiah. The word Messiah is the same as, as the word Christ. It means the exact same thing, the anointed one. And the Jews are not saved any way different uh, than Gentiles. And these are not talking about two different groups, but it's talking about one group of Jews and Gentiles together, which are the true people of God who are converted, who believe in Jesus, who trust in him. And it's describing them in two different ways. This is something I don't believe I'm mistaken on. If, if somebody wanted to argue with me about it, I would debate them on it. I believe this is talking about one group, and I'm going to present an argument for that one group, Jews and Gentiles together as the church of God. And we see, first, what is seen in this passage is God's people as seen by God, as known by heaven from heaven's point of view. That's what we see in the first part of this chapter. As you see in chapter 7, it starts in verse 1 with judgments being restrained. Revelation 7, 1 says, After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, 
that the winds should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Now what is happening at the beginning of chapter 7 is we're going backward a little bit. The end of chapter 6 told us about the very end of things, the end of this entire world, and we're not going after the end. We're going to a little before that. We're moving backward in time, in prophecy, in a time that I think is probably still ahead of us even today, but it's not the very end described at the end of chapter 6. And I believe the judgments spoke about here that are being restrained by these angels. The wind represents that judgment that's going to come in the seven trumpets. Uh, These are being restrained during this time. The judgments spoken here about these things seem to be judgments that will come with the first three trumpets. And why is that? Because the trumpets deal with nature. Those first three or four do. And chapter 7 talks about nature, the earth, the sea, or on any tree. Notice in Revelation 8, 7, and this is looking ahead, but it's in your notes. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Uh, Revelation 8, verse 9, and a third of the living creatures in the sea dried, dried up. Uh, Revelation 8, 10, a third of the waters became wormwood. And then he died from the water because it was made bitter. And then Revelation uh, 8.12, Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, and a third of the day did not shine, likewise the night. And what we see here is a third of all these things receiving some kind of destruction, and this is future to chapter 7. God is holding this back. He's keeping this from happening until the people of God are sealed. And so these things happen, but God's people are going to be sealed in some some sense from them. And we see something similar to this in the Old Testament. Remember in Egypt under Pharaoh. In Egypt, the first three plagues, the blood, the frogs, and the lice seem to impact everyone. There's no reference to these things not touching the Hebrew people. They seem to uh, impact both the Hebrews and the Egyptians. Uh, If they only infect the Egyptians, we don't read anything about that. But they seem to impact both. But in Exodus 8, 22-23, it says, In that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there, in order that you may know that I, the Lord, am in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be. And so at that sign, that plague, starting with the swarms of flies, they only came upon Egypt. They didn't come in the land of Goshen where God's people were. And I don't necessarily say that the seven trumpets don't affect uh, believers, but we know some of them will not because it definitely tells us uh, when those trumpets come, they are not going to touch believers. They only touch non-believers. And so we see a similar thing happen. And even if some of those touch the believers, chapter 7 
is talking about how believers are sealed, they're marked, they're protected from these things. And so if we go through a difficult time and somehow we're close to the end, we are in some sense protected by God. If God is for us, who can be against us? Even if we're going through that tribulation and we are killed, what happens? We go immediately to heaven. God marks his own people. And so even if we die for Christ, are we worse off because of that? No, we're, we're safe. We have this comfort that God is with us. God allows the trials mentioned with the horsemen back in chapter, uh, back in chapter 6, horsemen 2 through 4 to touch his people. And persecution, uh, uh, horsemen five and, and seal five. And martyrdom definitely hurts believers. Uh, obviously, there are martyrs probably today in the world. People who are dying because of their faith in Christ. And Revelation 7 seems, though, to indicate some division. God's people are marked. They're protected. And at the very least, this protection means that they're kept from falling into the sins and into the temptations that the ungodly will fall into. No believer, whatever the mark of the beast is, will ever take the mark of the beast. God will enable them not to do that. They won't fall into this temptation. And so we see that in this passage. But here... Before I get too far, we see in this passage the sealing, the marking of God's Israel. And I believe it's talking about spiritual Israel, not national Israel. Uh, pictured in Revelation 7 verses 2 through 8, it says, After these things I saw the four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth. And then verse 2, Then I saw... Another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. Notice he has that seal. He's going to mark them with this seal. And, and he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels with whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. Before we mark, we don't let this happen till we mark these people. And I heard the number of these those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Now notice it says all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Now some people like to take that literally and say this means... All the tribes of Israel, the Jewish people, were sealed with this mark that Christians who are not Jewish are not included in this sealing. Because we have to take this literally, and 144,000 is a literal number. It's referring only to Jews. And so there's 12,000 of this tribe, 12,000 of that tribe, 12,000 of this tribe. You can read through it. I'm not going to read through the entire list here because I already did that. But one thing I want you to notice in the list, in verse 6 it says 12,000 of the tribe of Manasseh were sealed. Now if you go to the Old Testament, and I have another list there, and all the lists in the Old Testament of the tribes are the same, I have the list here from Genesis 49 
This is when Jacob himself was, uh, was dying and he was blessing his sons. And if you go through that list, one thing you will notice is the tribe of Manasseh is not mentioned. Not at all. But the tribe of Dan, it says in verse 16, Dan shall judge his people. And there's a lot more. I, I just put you know, the names basically and a few things that were from that chapter. You could look up the whole chapter if you want. Dan is there. Now Dan is the tribe of Israel. He was one of them. Manasseh was not originally listed at all as one of the tribes. He was one of Joseph's sons, and Joseph was one of the tribes. So what kind of problem does this cause if you're interpreting this to be literal? Well, if you notice, it says 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were, were sealed. Well, if you're talking about all the tribes, then you cannot leave... Dan out. You have to add 12,000 of Dan, and that would make 166, not 144,000. And it ruins the whole number if you try to take it literally. And so uh, you can't. Uh, the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is their father, uh, this Genesis uh, uh, 49, 28. He blessed them all, and he blessed Dan. He, didn't have, he did, in the next chapter, he has a special blessing for the two sons of Joseph, and, and Manasseh is included in that. But they weren't one of the 12 tribes. They would, if you add Manasseh, that's 13 tribes, not 12. And so there's a problem here immediately if you try to take it literally. This, I believe, in Revelation, is not a reference to the natural sons of Israel, but it's a reference to the spiritual children of Israel. And the spiritual children uh, are, are those who truly believe in Jesus. Those who, who love the Lord. Those who are truly called. And there were people in the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who all love the Lord. They are included in this. But not because they are physical descendants of Abraham, but because they're spiritual descendants of Abraham, they have the same kind of faith that he has. We read in Romans 9, 6 and 7, it says, But it is not that the word of God has taken of no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Meaning there are people that are Israelites nationally that are not true spiritual Israel. And he goes on, he says, Nor are they all children because they are seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. And then in another passage in John, John, the same person who wrote in Revelation, it says in John 1, 12 and 13, but as many as received him, to them he became the right to, gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, meaning not national Israel, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. We who are born again, whether we are children of Abraham or we are Gentiles, we are the Israel of God. There aren't two Israels. There isn't an Israel that's true uh, national Israel that's going to heaven because they're, they're related to Abraham and spiritual Israel that's going to heaven through Jesus. 
But there's only one Israel, and that is the children of God. If these are not physical descendants of Israel, you could say, who are they? Are literally only 12,000 saved of each tribe? Well, how can this passage uh, be symbolic? As I already said, you'll note not all the tribes are mentioned in this book of Revelation. The, the tribe of Dan is left out and Manasseh is included, which was not a tribe in Old Testament times. If you take this passage literally to be talking about the 12 tribes, what is said in Revelation 7, 7, all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed, would not be true if it's 144,000. There'd have to be 166,000. Or you'd have to say that Revelation 7 is, is made a mistake. Uh, they left out Dan and they put, they put Manasseh in instead. Uh, that's, I don't believe that's the case. I believe this is talking about the true people of God being sealed. And the names are used and Israel is used symbolically. And God intentionally, and John, if, if he, whatever part he had, intentionally left out one tribe and put a different tribe in. If symbolic for spiritual Israel, this passage fits with what other scripture tells us about people being sealed. People who were sealed were definitely uh, it definitely included Gentiles. Uh, the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1.20 uh, through 22, one of the most powerful passages on this particular thing, is talking about Christ, and it says, For all the promises of God in him are yes and amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us in God, who has also sealed us. This is Paul talking to the Corinthians. The Corinthians were almost all Gentiles. And he's saying he sealed us. Meaning Paul who was a Jew himself. And the Corinthians. Uh, they were sealed also. And they are almost certainly all, almost all Gentiles. There may have been a few Jews among them. But they were mostly Gentiles. And he says all the promises of God in Christ are, are theirs, meaning the promises given to Abraham in the Old Testament. Now we understand them spiritually, but they're given to people who are believers. You know, we don't go to a promised land on this earth, but our citizenship is in heaven. That's our promised land. And that's how they are, these things are fulfilled for us who are Gentiles. Note also in 2 Corinthians 2.22, the sealed in context, as I said, we're, we're primarily Gentiles and all the promises refer uh, to promises given to Abraham and the Israelite and sealed us. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm repeating what I just said. Sealed us refers to Paul as a Jew and all the saved Corinthians who mostly were Gentiles and they were one unit. Us means one group, not you and us, but us. Uh, we see the same thing in Ephesians. In Ephesians 1.13, it says, In him you trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Ephesians were sealed. 
They are God's people. They have that special mark of God on them. They also were mostly Gentiles. And then also we see it again in Ephesians 4.30 when Paul says to them, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, somebody might say, well, are there more than one seals? Are there different kinds of seals? It's possible, but there's nothing in Scripture that tells us this seal is different than that seal. I believe all the seals are one. They're talking about people who are true believers and we are all sealed. We are either true, sealed by God, or we're not sealed and we're ungodly and we're, we're exposed to the wrath of God. And here we see that these who are Gentiles were sealed. Now, Timothy was a half Jew. His mother was Jewish and his father was Gentile and he also was sealed. And in 2 Timothy 2.19, it says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of Christ uh, departs from inequity. And the seal in that verse is referring to the fact that God knows his own. And I believe that's what is talked about in chapter 7 when we look at these, these tribes that are sealed, and you see there are names given. Each tribe has a name. Well, God knows all our names, doesn't he? Just like he knows the numbers of hairs on our heads. But can he list? I'm sure he could. But would it be practical for him to list in a book or advantageous for him to list in a book for all of us to see every name of the people who are going to be saved. Every single name. So that uh, Myrna Campbell's name is in there. And Linda Vasquez's name is in there. And Seth Denny's name is in there. And Ron Breen's and Carol Breen's name. They're all here and we can all look in the Bible and see our names. And we know we're saved. And there's thousands and thousands of names in there. And, and you're trying to scurry through there to see if you're saved or not. Is that what we do? Uh, is that what God would do? No. They would be, the book would be so big. Hopefully it's huge. That we wouldn't, we'd have a tr trouble reading it all. Because we are a great number of people who are believers. And yet God symbolically... Pick some names to represent all of us. That's what I believe he's doing here. And the first part of Revelation 7 is symbolically telling us God knows those people who are his. The Lord knows, it says in 2 Timothy 2.19, those who are his, he knows our name, he not just knows our names, but he knows the number of hairs that are on our heads. And the reason he gives names in Revelation is symbolic to let us know as, when, as far as heaven is concerned, God is not confused. He's not going to say, oh, I'm going to bring my wrath down on everybody and I don't know who is the ones that I'm going to save and who are lost. And, and I, I, I'm not sure if I'll hit somebody accidentally that's saved and destroy them and send them to hell by mistake. He's not going to do that. Those who are his, he knows. And that's what's symbolized in this first part of Revelation 7 
is that God knows his people. He knows their names. He counts, Psalm 147.4, he counts the number of stars. He calls them by name. If you've ever done any scientific study of stars, there are millions and billions of them. Trillions probably of them. And God knows each of them by name. He knows, as I said, the very number of hairs on our heads, Luke 12, 7. God knows the number of his people, and 12 is symbolic of God's people. There were 12 tribes in the Old Testament. There are 12 apostles in the New Testament. 12 times 12 is 144, and 1,000 is a number, I believe, that's symbolic in the book of Revelation for any great number. It means there's a great number of them. The Jehovah Witnesses, when they first started, claimed that the 144,000 were Jehovah Witnesses. And then when more than 144,000 Jehovah Witnesses were converted, they had to change their view. If there's only 144,000 Jewish people that are converted, that's a very small number when you think of it. Uh, They would be very upset. I believe it's a symbolic number. It's symbolic for God's people. And we also don't have that book that lists every one of our names available to us, not only because it would be huge, but if you saw your name in that book, uh, sinfully, we'd be tempted to say, hey, I'm saved. I can live as, uh, whatever I want. And yet scripture says, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure for if you do these things, you'll never stumble. And, and 2 Peter 1.10, is follow, it's after a whole bunch of things. It says, add to your faith knowledge, to your knowledge, uh, one, one good trait after another that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do these things to make sure our calling election sure. And the comfort here is that God knows his own. That's what we see in the first part of chapter 7. Well, then there's the second half of chapter 7. And then the second half, God shows us his people, not from his own point of view, where he knows everybody and knows all their name, but from a human point of view, as in heaven, as safe. And they are described very differently. You know, one person could look at the tail of an elephant and another person could look at the trunk of an elephant and they have a two, two totally different viewpoints of an elephant. And when you're looking at God's people from God's point of view, he knows the number of us. He knows all our names. But if you look at the same group of people from a human point of view, uh, we can't even number ourselves. After these things, it says... In 17 verse, I mean, Revelation 7 verse 9, after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number. It can be translated no man could number. It doesn't mean God couldn't number them. God does number his people. He knows how many. He knows who's going to be saved. But we don't know. We don't see how many. And then he says they are from every tribe, nation, and tongue of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, Revelation 7, 7, 9b, and they worship God, and they're saved by the Lamb, as all who are saved who come to God. It says, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, that white robe is the, the righteousness of Christ, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, 
saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is the same group of people described in the first part of chapter 7, but they're described from a human point of view as people see them, as this multitude can know that no man can number. Their white robes are because they are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now to... to, uh, to Israelite people, and it says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, meaning very bad, they shall be as wool. How are sins cleansed? By the blood of Christ. Doesn't matter if it's Old Testament or New Testament, sins are only cleansed by Christ's blood. They looked forward to Christ coming and dying for their sins. We look back at what he's already did, but either way, those who are saved are saved by Jesus. Revelation 1.5 says, And from Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us, loved us. John, who's a Jew, is writing that. He's writing to a lot of Gentiles and washed us from our sins in his own blood. They're all saved. Us is a group that includes both Jews and Gentiles. Here, the second part, the part that is talking mostly to Gentiles or seems that way to a lot of people, uh, they have palm branches in their hands. And palm branches are a feature of the Feast of Booths celebrating the endurance of the Jews coming out of the wilderness into the Promised Land and our promised land is heaven. And I believe when we come through this world, which has all its difficulties, we are celebrating the same way. Uh, we will remember some of the things we came through, and we will praise God that he brought us through these things. These worshipers are identified as those who worship Christ and come through the great tribulation. These are the true people of God. The reference of God wiping The tears from their eyes fits with Revelation 21 and in reference to the new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ, which is mentioned in Revelation 21. uh, These these are the same. You know, it says they stood around the throne, the elders. And then at the end of chapter seven, uh, verse verse 17, it says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And also in Revelation 21, when it talks about a new heaven, and a new earth, and these verses are, are listed in your bulletin. I'm not reading every word of them, but it says, God will tabernacle with men, meaning he will be with us, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things are passed away. Why is God sharing this here? Because his people will be saved no matter what they go through on this earth. And there's good reason, and this is the third main point, for seeing the unity of God's people in these verses. Not two groups, but one. Not Jews. Some people say, you know, the Jews, because they like to divide them up, that they're sometimes not only a different group, but they're even saved in a different way. They're saved by doing good works rather than by Christ dying for them. Uh, I don't believe that at all. The Gentiles and the Jews are both saved by Christ. And scripture tells us this. Uh, It tells us that we're all equal. 
Uh, Romans 3, 9 through 12 says, What then? Are, they better? Are we better than they? This is Paul as a Jew writing. Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, none who seeks for God. Scripture clearly represents Jews and Gentiles being brought together in one church saved by Christ. Here Paul, as the apostle to the Gentiles in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, is writing to the Gentiles, and he says, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, and there was a division even in that day, especially in that day, <coughs> made in the flesh by hands, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise. There was a time when they were, were outside, he's saying, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both one, meaning one group, the Jews and the Gentiles, and has broken down the middle uh, wall of separation having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances, meaning there were some ordinances that separated the, the Jews and the Gentiles, but he's saying it's abolished, so as to create himself one new man from two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting death the enmity, and he came and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who are near, for through him, meaning through Jesus, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on one foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. If you read through that, and if you need to read it again and again, you'll see what Paul is saying is that Jews and Gentiles are together. They are one body. They are both saved by Christ. We see this, the new Jerusalem is not purely a city, but is the bride of Christ. Revelation 21, 9 through 14 talks about the bride and this is in your notes. I'm not going to read the whole verse, verses, but it says, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And then he says, And he carried away, and he carried me away in, in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the new Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And here we see the, the city, uh, Jerusalem is the bride. And the church is the bride of Christ. And so they're one and the same. And he says the, uh, the bride, the lamb's wife, and then he shows them Jerusalem. And not only this, but if you go further in this passage, it says, and she also had great and high walls with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates. And the names written on them were the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so part of this Jerusalem, the walls are the 12 tribes of Israel on uh, three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. But if you go further, it says now in verse uh, 14, it says the foundations of the city, verse 14 of Revelation 21, 
and on them were the name of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And so the New Jerusalem isn't purely Jewish, uh, even though the apostles were Jewish, they represent us, uh, Revelation 5, 9, who are out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And we see there's unity between Jews and Gentiles. Those who are out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation mentioned in Revelation 7, 9 uh, are the people of God. And note this was always God's plan. Isaiah 49, 6 says, uh, indeed, he says, it's too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the end of the earth. That's in Isaiah 49, 6. In Psalm 117, the passage I just happened to be preaching on tonight, it says, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples, for his merciful kindness is great toward us. It's almost certainly a Jewish person who is writing that psalm, but he says us in regard to Israel and the Gentiles, and he says, praise the Lord. Then also Galatians 3, 29, 26 through 29, it says uh, in verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, uh, for you are all one, in verse 28, in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There he's saying Gentiles are Abraham's seed. Again, Colossians 3, 8 through 11, verse 11 says, where there is neither Jew nor Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. It's one group. And so when we look at Revelation 12, I mean Revelation 7, what do we see? We see God's people are sealed. Uh, they're protected by God. They're known by God by name. That's why he lists the 12 tribes that are actually a little different than the 12 tribes in the Old Testament. I believe because he wants to make it clear that we're talking about symbolism here. And it's not just 144 literal people, 44,000 literal people who are going to be saved. But the 144 represents 12 times 12 times 1,000, which was symbolic in Greek for a great number. Like when, when we, uh, my, my grandson Aiden, uh, we come with a, his mom comes with a big bunch of groceries. And he says, we have a ton of groceries out there, groceries out there. Well, there's not literally a ton, but he means there's a whole lot. And they used 1,000 that way to mean a whole lot. Well, 12 times 12 is symbolic for God's people, and God knows our names. And then in the end, uh, the second half of chapter 7, when he talks about this great multitude, which no man can number out of every tribe, tongue, kindred, and nation, he's talking about the same group that he's talking about in the first part of chapter 7. Jews and Gentiles who are spiritual Israel, who believe in God, who follow God, they all will be protected by God and they will all be in heaven together as one body. There's not a division. There's not a part of heaven where the Jews are going to be that are saved and a part of heaven where the Gentiles are going to be that are going to be saved. And they don't come to salvation in, in these different times, even though there might be some 
you know, I'm not against the idea of a, a greater revival of Jewish people at the end, if that's what God's will is. Uh, but a Jewish person can come to Christ even now. They don't have to wait to some special revival. And we are all saved only through Christ, not through sacrifices, even in the Old Testament when they offered up the lambs and the bulls and the goats. Those lambs and bulls and goats did not really save anybody, but they were symbolic of Christ, who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And when they had faith, whatever they had understood about Christ's coming and his death, when they had true faith, they were saved the same way we are, by looking to Jesus. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for Revelation 7 that tells us and comforts us Uh, that we should know that whatever happens in this world, you've sealed us, you're protecting us, you know those who are yours. Uh, You won't be confused and thinking, oh, is this one that I can save or is that one I can save? You'll know who those are. Father, we thank you for the symbolism of the angels sealing the people of God who who are known by name. And Father, we believe and know that you know each one of us by name. And we thank you for that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.